Chapter One, Part One of Reminiscences of a Workhouse Medical Officer by Joseph Rogers. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter One: The Strand, Part One. In the latter part of the summer of 1854, I was living in Soho, where I had been engaged in general practice for some ten years and where by dint of laborious attention to my profession i had secured a sufficiency on which to live when i became aware that an outbreak of asiatic cholera might be looked for some suspicious cases had appeared when towards the end of the month of august there was suddenly developed an epidemic outbreak of such virulence and extent that it became necessary for immediate action to be taken if this fell disease was to be effectually dealt with having taken an active part for some years previously in sundry sanitary measures i was requested by the parochial authorities of st anne's soho to take charge of one of the district into which the parish was at once divided during the busiest of those very busy days a medical friend and neighbor called on me and in answer to my remark that i was too busy to talk to him replied you are busy now but you will live to regret this outbreak in soho it will ruin the neighborhood and your practice for many years to come for the public will believe that it is too unhealthy to live in and ere long you will have nothing to do this casual prediction was amply verified in the following year by the death of many inhabitants and by the removal of others as was the case with others in other callings i had to commence the world afresh when casting about for the best course to follow the medical officership of the strand workhouse cleveland street and of the parish of st anne soho fell vacant the person who held the appointment proposed to resign in favor of his son and i was strongly urged to compete for it i elected to try my chance and after a severe contest was selected here i began my experiences of the sick poor which lasted with a very brief interval for thirty years my first impressions were not very exhilarating and could i have foreseen all that was in store for me i question whether i should have applied for the appointment at all but having been appointed i resolved to try it for a time at least the strand workhouse in the year eighteen fifty six was a square four-storied building fronting the street with two wings of similar elevation projecting eastwards from each corner across the irregularly paved yard in the rear was a two-storied lean-to building with windows in the front only used as a day and night ward for infirm women there were sheds on each side for the reception of so-called male and female able-bodied people whilst in the yard on each side of the entrance gate was a two-storied building with an underground apartment lighted by a single window and with a door for the reception of male and female casual paupers the wards above being for those of both sexes admitted to the house the necessary laundry work of the establishment which never in my time fell below five hundred inmates was carried on in the cellar beneath the entrance hall in the general dining-room whence it came to pass that the said hall and so forth was for four days in each week filled with steam and the odours from washing the pauper's linen 
a chapel was contrived out of one of the male infirm wards on the ground floor on the sunday and utilized on that occasion for both sexes on the left of the entrance hall was the boardroom the corresponding apartment on the right and the room above on the first floor being the apartments of the master and matron on the right side of the main building was a badly paved yard which led down to the back entrance from charlotte street on each side of this back entrance there was first a carpenter's shop and a dead house and secondly opposite to it a tinker's shop with a forge and unsealed roof this latter communicated with a ward with two beds in it used for fever and foul cases only a lath and plaster partition about eight feet high separating it from the tinker's shop there were no paid nurses such nursing as we had and continue to have for the first nine years i was there was performed by more or less infirm paupers with the occasional aid of some strong young woman who had been admitted temporarily and was on pass unfortunately it frequently happened that just as she was becoming useful she left and there was nothing for it but to fall back upon the ordinary broken-down inmates the selection of whom did not rest with me but with the master or the matron or both just outside the male wards of the house at the upper end of the yard there were two upright posts and a crossbar on this bar were suspended the carpets taken in to beat by the so-called able-bodied inmates from whose labor the guardians derived a clear income of four hundred pounds a year in despite of the continued noise and dust caused by this beating the guardians persisted in carrying it on for ten of the twelve years that i was there the noise was so great that it effectually deprived the sick of all chance of sleep whilst the dust was so thick that to open the windows was entirely out of the question until the day's work was over i attempted repeatedly to get this nuisance done away with but so fierce was the antagonism of the majority of the board that i had to abandon it the male insane ward used also for epileptics and imbeciles was on the right wing above the male casual and reception ward to reach it you had to go up some four steps it was absurdly unsuitable for such cases and when i had lunatic and imbecile there together i was always in dread lest some horrid catastrophe might happen one case of an epileptic was to me the cause of much anxiety for he was wholly unaware when his fits were coming on when a seizure occurred he always sprang up and then dashed himself to the ground on his forehead and face he contrived by these means to smash his nose make dreadfully disfiguring wounds on his forehead and face and from a good-looking became a perfectly repulsive-looking person poor fellow i tried all sorts of expedients to prevent his doing himself any further injury but though he constantly wore a stuffed helmet he sometimes managed to injure himself i got him away at last but i had two or three years of him during which time i had a very extensive surgical experience from his case alone i was constantly stitching up his wounds the female insane ward was a rather large room and was situated over the boardroom as we always had the place full the space was desirable or necessary it was immediately beneath the lying-in ward 
when we had a troublesome or noisy lunatic in the ward it must have been anything but a comfort to the lying-in women above but then neither their interests nor the feelings of any of the other inmates were at that time officially considered by the guardians by the poor law inspectors nor by anyone else to be allowed to remain in the house and get waited on somehow was all that was looked for by these truly wretched women the master of the house a certain george catch since deceased had been a common policeman in clare market where he had made himself useful to the chairman of the board who was the proprietor of an a la mode beef shop in that locality through this chairman's influence he became the porter of the workhouse and the master falling sick he had performed his duty for him the illness ended fatally through the same influence catch was promoted to the vacant office though at the time i first knew him he was so ignorant that he could only write his name with difficulty he was single on his appointment but an alliance with the late master's niece who had acted as matron for some time was talked about on my taking office as this official mr g catch appointed with the sanction of mr h fleming sometime permanent secretary of the poor law board played an important part in bringing the department into deserved contempt i must hereafter again refer to him on the morning of my entering on my duties i went over the sick ward with the son of my predecessor my curiosity was excited by sundry ill-shaped bottles all of which contained the same description of so-called medicine the salary did not admit of an extensive variety of medical necessaries as it was only fifty pounds a year out of which all drugs were to be found it is true that this stipend was supplemented by an occasional fee from attendance on parturient women in cases where difficulty or danger arose or in any illness which took place prior to the ninth day after the confinement that fee was limited to twenty shillings only the decision as to the necessity for such attendance was vested in the midwife or matron and until that was given the medical officer was interdicted from entering the lying-in wards this regulation was in direct contravention of the poor law regulations but then the department were very unwilling at that time to interfere with the so-called discretion of the guardians however much their regulations were disregarded i have stated that the chairman of the board was the proprietor of an alamode beef shop during my first year of office this dignitary would often come to the house on sunday morning dressed in the dirty greasy jacket in which he had been serving a la mode beef the night before and unshaven and unshorn he would go into the chapel with the pauper inmates and afterwards go to the boardroom and have breakfast with the master and matron of course between the three there was an excellent understanding and during this chairman's reign all alterations for the better were resisted i have before stated that all my nurses were pauper inmates the responsible duties they had to perform were remunerated by an amended dietary and a pint of beer occasionally for laying out the dead and for other specially repulsive duties they had a glass of gin this was given by the master or matron but i was expected to sanction the supply 
i have referred to the ward used for foul cases which was in immediate proximity to the tinker shop it was altogether unsuitable for the reception of any human being however degraded he might be but it had to be used i remember a poor wretch being admitted with frost-bitten feet which speedily mortified rendering the atmosphere of the ward and shop frightfully offensive at first i was at a loss to know whom to get to go through the offensive duty of waiting on him at last a little fellow called wiseman undertook the task the bribe being two pints of beer and some gin daily with steaks or chops for dinner presently the patient was seized with tetanus and after the most fearful sufferings died he was followed almost immediately afterwards by poor wiseman who had contracted from his patient one of the most malignant forms of blood poisoning that i ever saw these two successive deaths took place whilst the tinker was plying his business on the other side of the partition which separated this ward from his smithy this place was an utter disgrace to the board but they never attempted to alter it whilst i was there i have referred also to the nursery ward this place was situated on the third floor opposite to the lying-in ward it was a wretchedly damp and miserable room nearly always overcrowded with young mothers and their infant children that death relieved these young women of their illegitimate offspring was only what was to be expected and that frequently the mothers followed in the same direction was only too true i used to dread to go into this ward it was so depressing scores and scores of distinctly preventable deaths of both mothers and children took place during my continuance in office through their being located in this horrible den it frequently happened that some casual was admitted with her child or children to the room below the female receiving ward on my visiting the house next day i would find that her child had got an attack of measles and could not go out and in spite of my sending the mother and child to the children's infectious ward above measles always broke out in the nursery some eleven days after and i have had as many as twenty down with it at a time i will not horrify my readers by stating the proportion of deaths to recoveries but content myself with stating that the latter were very few what made these continuous outbreaks so vexatious was this that i had laid down the most stringent regulations as regards isolation and disinfection but unfortunately my orders could only be given to pauper women i had no other persons to act with and with that habitual carelessness which had led to their becoming paupers they only in exceptional instances paid any attention to what i said now and then a decent widow with an infant came in and became an inmate of the nursery ward there being no other place for her to go to what her feelings must have been when forced into day and night companionship with some of the most abandoned of her own sex in this miserable gehenna i will not attempt to portray and yet the majority of the board looked upon this den as a perfect paradise and looked on me as an irreconcilable fellow for troubling them with my complaints respecting it i had not been the medical officer for many months before i found that my pauper nurses were frequently under the influence of drink and that too in the forenoon on inquiring i heard to my surprise 
that the master was in the habit of giving out the stimulants at 7 a.m., and as many of the inmates sold their allowance, the nurses had become partly or wholly intoxicated when I reached the house in the morning. My first request to the master was that some other time should be selected for the issue of stimulants. Such request was angrily refused, and it was not until I had appealed to the board that I succeeded in effecting an alteration, but my success made the master henceforward my determined foe. As I have stated, the medical officer's salary was intended to cover the provision of medicine. The guardians, however, had supplied my predecessor with linseed meal and mustard, but finding that I had a great many consumptive and bronchitic patients, I was induced to apply to the guardians for some linseed to enable me to give the patients some linseed tea. Now, there was one nurse in the female sick ward, by name Charlotte Massingham, who had been in supreme authority there some years. She was nearly always muddled. To work with her was impossible. Charlotte invariably treated me with supreme indifference, not unmingled with undisguised contempt. I had introduced newfangled notions, would have my medicines correctly given, and the patients well attended to. On hearing that my application for the linseed had met with success, I went up to the workhouse. On going into the female sick ward, I told Charlotte of my having gained the assent of the board, when, suddenly springing up at least a foot, she came down slapping both sides with her arms on the ground, with a startling observation, "'My God! Linseed tea in the workhouse!' Charlotte's reign, however, was not of long continuance after this she died worn out by the effects of habitual intemperance i heard after she was dead and the inmates were free to speak that she systematically stole the wine and brandy from the sick it was obvious that one of the first points to secure was the removal of the laundry before referred to situated in the cellar beneath the dining hall the guardians, having assented to my suggestions, a contract was entered into with the builder to put up a laundry in the backyard. The structure was to cost some four hundred pounds. On proceeding to dig out the foundation, the workmen came on a number of skeletons, the yard having been originally the poor burial ground of St. Paul's Covent Garden, for which parish the workhouse and so forth had been built, and had been rented by the guardians from that parish when the Strand Union was formed. So full was this yard of human remains that the contractor was compelled to go down twenty feet all round before a foundation for the laundry could be obtained. In making this huge trench, they disinterred the remains of the poor Italian boy murdered by Bishop and Williams, whose murder was discovered by the late Mr. Partridge of King's College Hospital, to whom Bishop and Williams had sold their victim for anatomical purposes. Similar murders of the same kind in Edinburgh led to the passing of the Anatomy Act and to the suppression of the practice of body-snatching by the abandoned wretches who formerly supplied schools of anatomy with subjects. My next endeavor was an enlargement of the cellar at each wing so as to secure better accommodation for the reception of casual poor and increased space for sick children and others. This was accomplished by nearly rebuilding the wings. 
unfortunately these suggestions rendered me extremely unpopular with many of the guardians and delayed for some two years any increase of my wretched stipend which would otherwise have been granted if i could have remained a passive observer of that which i saw around me but worse was in store my first serious quarrel with the board happened thus many of the young women who came in to be confined came under treatment afterwards suffering from extreme exhaustion and some were hopelessly consumptive on making inquiry i found that the practice in the lying-in ward was to keep the single women on a dietary of gruel for nine days and then at the end of a fortnight to dismiss them to the nursery ward on house diet with their children assuming as i had a perfect right to do that this dietary had emanated from an order of the poor law board i wrote to the department telling what i had observed and asking that board's permission to introduce a more generous system my communication was sent to the guardians and i was informed in a letter from the board at whitehall that it rested with me exclusively to order whatever form of dietary i chose a power which i did not hesitate to use the board of guardians condemned my conduct in writing to the poor law board in the strongest possible terms and the use i had made of the power vested in me the course taken by me was held to be in the highest degree reprehensible as it traversed the deliberate action of the guardians who had established the starvation dietary for single parturient women as a deterrent against the use of the workhouse as a place in which to be confined as the number of fresh admissions went on increasing and i had not sufficient accommodation i recommended that the side wing should be enlarged by carrying the building up a story higher this was done and the pressure put on the accommodation was met for a time but all these suggestions increased my unpopularity with certain of the board who condemned me for the expense i was putting them to about this time the annoyance and obstruction i met with from the master and matron compelled me to apply to the inspector for support he came to the house to make inquiry but so large a number of the guardians attended to support the master that after a few questions had been put he closed the inquiry some years after he expressed to me his regret that at that time he could not see his way to aid me at the end of the first year some business took me to scotland the board sanctioned my absence and gave their approval of the gentleman who was to act as my substitute on my return journey by the night train on getting out at peterborough at six a m to get some coffee i was surprised to see the master of the workhouse and the clerk of the board standing on the platform on reaching king's cross i remained in the carriage till all the passengers had alighted and had passed me i was in doubt whether i had been deceived but i had not been for presently the pair passed the carriage each carrying a small bag about ten days after a letter was sent from the board asking for an explanation of an alleged neglect of a sick person in the house i forthwith called on my substitute and showed him the letter he denied in the most positive terms the allegation of neglect on visiting the house no information could be gained from any one but it occurred to me on leaving to ask the porter whether he could throw any light on the matter after reading the clerk's letter he made the remark why catch was not in the house at the time he alleges the neglect took place 
for he and the clerk went down to peterborough from the thursday to the monday morning to be entertained by the contractor who put up the laundry boiler in my defence i stated this to the board when great was the indignation expressed by some of the guardians first at his false charge of neglect and secondly that he and the clerk should have gone away without leave and for the being entertained by the contractor the exposure of course intensified this master's hostility in which his friend the clerk cordially cooperated the consequence to me was that i was continually sent for on most frivolous pretenses the messenger would come to my house and say you are wanted at cleveland street if i asked for what he was studiously ignorant if i went or if i sent my assistant catch would keep us waiting in the hall until it suited his humour to come out to me when in a loud voice he would say you are wanted in such and such a ward hard as this was to bear with from this ignorant and incompetent official i put up with it for a time but at last i again called on the poor law inspector and asked him his advice when he informed me that the master was bound to send a written order stating the name of the sick person and so forth on my having intimated to him that i should not again notice his calls unless this requirement was complied with the annoyance was stopped nearly all of these second visits having been wholly unnecessary and arranged with the view of wearing me out i have stated that unless called on either by the midwife matron or master to visit a woman recently confined i was debarred from attendance on her and could not claim any fee the master and clerk arranged that no order should be given until nine days had elapsed when it was held that i was bound to take charge of the woman as in an ordinary case of illness this calling one in on the morning of the tenth day was so frequently done that i saw that the thing was arranged especially as i learned on inquiry that the woman had been ill for some days and had asked that i should be sent for i thereupon took on myself to visit the ward daily and to judge for myself as to the necessity for my attendance some half-dozen of these cases occurred within three months on sending notice to the clerk that i had visited such and such a case i received the reply i have made inquiries and find that you attended without getting the necessary authority this i afterwards learned was done without any authority from the board i therefore decided that i would give up going into this ward for the future some time after and in pursuance of this man's policy of annoyance a case occurred just as i expected which enabled me to get rid of him on going to the house one morning the porter told me there was a woman ill in the lying-in ward on going into my room the pauper attendant came and asked me to go to this ward to the inquiry who sent you no one she replied i then said go to the matron or if you cannot find her to the master state that the woman is very ill and bring me the authority to visit her she went away some half hour after i went by the ward door and heard this poor wretch's cries for assistance but i did not visit her again the attendant came to me and implored me to go up i asked have you seen the master or matron yes she said what did they say to you why they only laughed i again declined to visit the ward shortly after i left the house i had hardly passed the gate when the master rushed into the hall and inquired whether i had left on hearing i had done so he said in a loud voice i have caught that damned doctor at last 
and directed the porter to go for the nearest medical man some gentlemen came and attended to her and the bill and a garbled statement of the facts was sent by catch to the board i was ordered to attend their next meeting and explain my conduct i requested the attendance of the porter and of the pauper nurse at the board's meeting catch gave his version of the story when called on for my explanation i narrated the course adopted by the master the matron and the clerk and pointed out to the guardians the evident intention of all three to prevent me being paid any fee that in the case in question i had asked for an authority to visit the woman that although both of these officers knew of the poor woman's condition they had maliciously allowed her to remain without proper attendance and would not give any order so that i should not be paid a fee the defence was so complete and so completely turned the tables on all three that a severe censure was passed on the master and matron for their inhumanity and a hint was given that they had better look out for some other appointment this they did and a vacancy for a master and matron having taken place at newington workhouse mr and mrs catch applied for the post and to the delight of all the inmates and officers of the strand workhouse were selected so intensely tyrannical and cruel had been the rule of this man that the day he resigned the keys and was leaving the house the whole establishment at least all those who could leave their beds rose in open rebellion and with old kettles shovels penny trumpets celebrated their departure from the premises the incoming master subsequently told me that he had never witnessed anything like it in his life and that the row was so general and spontaneous that he was powerless to check it mr catch's subsequent career did not disappoint the expectations of those who were cognizant of his utter unfitness for so responsible a post i shall refer to him again in a subsequent part of this narrative before i had been long in office i became aware that there was a benevolent agency at work conducted by some christian ladies whose mission it was to visit the wards read to the sick and infirm and generally to help them in the effort they might make in re-establishing themselves at the head of this movement was miss louisa twining who has devoted years of her busy life to the amelioration of the lot of the workhouse sick lady alderson the widow of the late judge her daughter miss louisa and though last but by no means the least miss augusta clifford were associated in this good work it was to miss twining's initiative that the abolition of the system of entrusting the care of the sick poor to the numerous sari camps and betsy prigs was mainly due but she did not succeed in her laudable efforts until after several years of incessant appeal to the guardians of the poor and the poor law board ultimately her demand was conceded in deference to outraged public opinion the efforts of miss clifford demand a special reference here very early in my official life she called on me and volunteered to help any deserving case brought to her notice over and over again did she put her hand in her pocket and give money to inmates of her own sex whose cases i called attention to at last her good doing attracted the notice of the board who passed a very eulogistic resolution in which they thanked her for her great kindness to their sick 
here let me remark that although the majority of the strand board were wholly unfitted for any administrative duties yet it should be ungrateful not to state that there were several kindly disposed persons among them they were generally however outvoted though occasionally their suggestions for a milder and more generous regime prevailed catch had hardly left the house when it was proposed to increase my stipend at first to seventy-five pounds ultimately to a hundred pounds a year and i was also entrusted by the board with the duty of certifying as to the lunacy of the inmates who were admittedly insane this office had been filled for many years by a dr beeman of henrietta street covent garden in deference to a view recently revived by the present lord chancellor in his hitherto abortive attempts to amend the lunacy laws and was to the effect that it would be hazardous to entrust such a duty to the workhouse medical officer as he might be tempted to eke out his salary by certifying that healthy persons were mentally affected so as to secure a fee the injustice implied in this gratuitous imputation having been brought before one of the presidents of the poor law board he was induced to get the prohibition removed and one of the results was that my friends at the board carried a resolution that in future i should be the examining official as i had all the trouble of the case whilst a stranger pocketed the fee dr beeman was much annoyed at this and as the relieving officer who was a friend of beeman's persisted in sending all cases to dr beeman a collision was inevitable a short while after a lad was brought by the police found wandering at large i diagnosed that he was a homicidal lunatic and that it was necessary that he should be sent away the relieving officer having called in dr beeman he visited the house examined the lad and took him down to bow street and deposed before the magistrate that he was of sound mind he would have been discharged but the police having testified to the very questionable condition in which he was on coming into their hands the presiding magistrate directed that he should go back to the house for further observation this was done and i again saw and examined him and gave a fresh certificate of his insanity dr beeman was again requested to attend he however sent his partner who also decided that the lad was not insane he was again taken before a magistrate with the result that he was ordered to be discharged thereupon dr beeman wrote to the poor law board complaining of the action of the guardians in appointing an inexperienced young man as the examining medical officer and stating that neither he nor his partner could discover any evidence of insanity in the case in question a copy of this letter was sent to the guardians who directed the clerk to write to me for an explanation of my conduct i was satisfied that i was right but i had a great deal of trouble in tracing what had become of the boy ultimately i found his father who informed me that the day he was discharged he came home and sat down to his dinner after the meal was over the father resumed his work that of shoe mending when his son without saying a word struck him a severe blow on the head with a hammer the aid of the neighbors and of the police was invoked and after a desperate struggle he was overpowered handcuffed taken before a magistrate who sent him to marlebone workhouse from which establishment he had been sent to hanwell where he had been some days i sent a copy of my reply to the guardians to the poor law board 
my judgment was never again called in question in cases of lunacy i found this part of my duty an agreeable episode in my daily routine of all but thankless work i also made the acquaintance of sir thomas henry mr flowers and mr vaughan and from all these magistrates received the greatest courtesy before i had long held my office my attention was drawn to the marvellous zeal displayed by the catholic priests who although unpaid were untiring in their attendance on the sick poor of their persuasion a large number of whom were always in the house a somewhat ludicrous incident occurred about this time there was a very old woman in the infirm ward across the yard she was stated to be ninety-five she had been blind from childhood and the balls of both eyes were gone leaving nearly empty sockets although life under such circumstances was not very attractive i never met with any one who so strongly objected to dying she was constantly sending for me to prescribe for her imaginary ailments one very cold night when the snow was on the ground and it was blowing strongly from the northeast at about eleven thirty my night bell was rung violently i had not gone to bed and therefore answered the door when i found a young irish woman cowering in the recess of the doorway on asking what she wanted she replied oh if you please sir the father has sent me over to ask whether bridget gaines is dying as a messenger has just come from the house saying bridget is going and requesting the father to go there at once now the father has a bad cold and his feet are in hot water and he has a poultice on his chest and he is afraid to go out as the night is so cold i laughingly told her to go back and tell the father that i thought bridget was not near her end yet on the following morning the priest called on me he was very anxious about bridget and earnestly asked whether i had heard from the house i told him there was no need for anxiety when in a deprecatory tone of voice he said i should have gone after all but bridget has been very tiresome do you know he said bridget has had extreme unction administered nineteen times i saw bridget that morning she was much in her usual condition she lived a long time afterwards and probably was anointed on a great many subsequent occasions i was constantly encountering odd stories and odd people many of them profligates who had seen better days one person in particular attracted my attention as he had evidently been a gentleman indeed he assured me that he had once a large estate in yorkshire and was master of the hounds i had no reason to doubt him he did not live very long after his admission to the sick ward after his death i received from five different solicitors written requests for a copy of my death certificate it was accompanied in each case by a fee of a guinea this poor fellow had insured his life in five different offices and had sold the policies it will be seen that i shared in the pecuniary advantages that sprang from his death the immediate successor of mr and mrs catch did not stay very long the matron's health broke down and she had to resign they were followed by mr and mrs thorne who remained master and matron until the death of the former some years afterwards mr thorne was a kind-hearted person who had filled a position of responsibility in the parish of marlebon whilst mrs thorne was a well-educated lady-like woman they managed the house well and treated the inmates with kindness and consideration 
but do as they would they could not alter the structural deficiencies of the building make it larger nor prevent the fearful overcrowding with its disastrous results nor improve upon the wretched system of pauper nursing which was the curse of that and all similar institutions and which the powers that were in those days at whitehall made no genuine effort to change shortly after the collapse of his friend catch the proprietor of the alamode beef shop ceased to be a guardian and a wholesale fruit dealer in covent garden reigned in his stead he was a far less satisfactory chairman than his predecessor as all thoughts words and deeds were actuated by the consideration of his personal and private interests as will be shown by the following among other instances that could be related one of the earliest things very properly done by the new master was to find out the previous occupation of those who had come in sick and to utilize them when recovered in the trade they had followed for the improvement of the house one day a middle-aged man came in very ill he had evidently seen better days in fact he turned out to have been a highly skilled decorator especially in the representation of marble and ingraining as soon as he was well enough the master set him to work to decorate the entrance hall this he did most admirably and his work was much admired by the guardians and by visitors to the house this employment coming to an end he was allowed as a reward for his industry to go in and out ostensibly to look for work i used frequently to meet this man on my daily visits as he continued to go out in this manner i one day stopped him and asked whether he had been successful in finding a job his reply in the negative was accompanied by a look so significant that i was induced to push my inquiries when he told me that he was occupied in decorating the chairman's house and he had been engaged at it for some three weeks to the further inquiry what have you got there pointing to a bag he was carrying he replied that is my dinner which i always take with me from the house oh then i said the chairman does not find you your dinner even does he give you any beer or any money he replied i have been working there all day long for the last three weeks and he has never given me anything as he shortly after disappeared i made an inquiry as to what had become of him when i learned that he had suddenly left the work he was doing for the chairman and gone off and drowned himself this chairman did not long continue to act as such as some months after this he died suddenly of heart disease the only evidence he had ever afforded that he possessed one having occasion just at that time to go to the poor law board i was waiting in an office for the gentleman i went to see when one of the junior officials said to me you have lost your chairman yes i replied but i do not feel his loss very acutely on which he said it is customary for the clerk of the board to write and apprise us of the death of the chairman and we always send a sympathetic letter in reply on the clerk's letter being read the question was asked should the usual reply be sent the official reply was grim enough write and say that we are delighted to hear it the successor in the chair was very friendly disposed toward me and remained so until after the official inquiry in eighteen sixty six when having attended to hear the evidence that was given and having made himself conspicuous by some irrelevant interruptions he brought down on himself the criticism of the press 
which he most absurdly attributed to me and resented by becoming a most determined opponent ever afterwards about this time a select committee of the house commons was appointed to take into consideration the administration of the poor laws and to decide as to the desirability or otherwise of the maintenance of the central department in conjunction with my friend the late r griffin of weymouth who distinguished himself so much by an advocacy of an amended system of medical relief and the late dr r fowler of bishopsgate street i volunteered to give evidence before the committee some time afterward being asked by the late metropolitan inspector h b farnell esq c b to call upon him at the poor law board i did so i hear said he that you have asked to give evidence before the select committee pray what are you going to state nothing i replied that bears on my personal position as a poor law medical officer except so far as i may support my views by reference to my personal knowledge i shall give evidence for the purpose of urging on the committee the desirability of abolishing the system whereby boards of guardians for a stipulated sum often wholly inadequate bargain with medical men to find all medicines and appliances because the inevitable outcome of the system is this that the poor do not get the medicines they require i feel that the sick of the strand union got very little in the way of medicine before i was appointed and the provision of such medicines was to me in every sense a pecuniary loss until the guardians quite recently increased my stipend so as to make the strain less felt he at once assured me that he would do his best to put my views before the chairman c p villiers m p for wolverhampton i did not at that time know mr villiers personally except by repute but i came to know him some years later mr fernal then proposed to put some questions to me and take down the answers this he did and as each question was put i replied briefly giving my reasons for my suggestion i had to be guarded in my answers as i was not desirous of bringing the charge against my medical brethren that they systematically failed to supply medicines for the sick though very many have with more or less questionable candour said to me why do you bother about the supply of medicines go in and get for us an increase of our pay after mr farnell had put me to the question he shook me very warmly by the hand promising that as far as i was concerned the views i held should be brought prominently forward some time after i received a notice to attend when i found mr richard griffin and dr fowler in the room griffin had come there with evidence that would have taken a month to take down fowler was not so diffuse a couple of days would have got through what he had to say appalled by the vast body of evidence offered by these two the committee ordered the room to be cleared on our readmission we learned that the committee had decided that mr griffin and dr fowler should put in their evidence which should be taken as if delivered i was then called on i had neither note nor paper as i relied on mr fernal's promise the questions were mainly put by mr villiers i amplified briefly the views i had expressed to mr fernal this led to my being asked for some additional explanations which i supplied ultimately i was dismissed but not before i had convinced myself that my day's work had not been thrown away 
poor richard griffin had worked for many years with wonderful industry to call attention to the grievances of poor law medical officers and thought he should succeed but he was destined to fail for although the committee had allowed him to put in his evidence yet the facts he had collected with so much pains were successfully traversed by mr r b kane poor law inspector who by certain statistics made out to the committee's satisfaction that the medical men had no great cause for complaint poor fowler's evidence was similarly snuffed out as regards mine the committee reported in its favour but not as to the whole of it they probably dreaded the cost to the various union boards of the provision of all medicines but they suggested a compromise to wit that boards of guardians should be required to supply expensive medicines such as cod liver oil quinine opium and so forth small as the concession was mr h fleming delayed the issue of the committee's recommendation for fifteen months after it had been made and then sent out a letter couched in such official language that a great many boards contented themselves with ordering the letter to lie on the table some years after i asked dr lush m p for salisbury to move for a copy of the board's letter and a return of what had been done i found from that return that about half of those bodies had not noticed the letter at all subsequently twenty years after the issue of the letter my brother thorold rogers moved for a similar return only to show that there were still several boards where nothing whatever was supplied End of chapter one part one